please remain standing and, and pray with me. <laughs> Almighty God, uh, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign Lord of the universe. And that for us gathered in this place this morning, you have called us here by your infinite wisdom to be here for such a time as this, to hear this word, to come around your table later, that, that this is a part of your plan for everybody here. So, Lord, I pray that your purpose and your will for each one gathered here this morning would be accomplished as the word of God goes forth in its preached form. May it not return void, but may it accomplish that which you have desired for it to do. Lord, I pray that for me as the preacher of your word that you would grant me utterance and clarity of thought and speech. And for all of us, give, it, give us a keen and receptive heart and mind that we might take the word of God deep within us. And may it bear good fruit for your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today, as I'm sure you are aware and have thought about, today is a, a solemn occasion uh, as we remember the 15th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. It was an event that really defined a generation in the same way that Pearl Harbor did for my grandparents and the Kennedy assassination did for my parents and then for us I think we all feel if we were there for that event and are remembering that event it was a pivotal day it reminded uh, as we think back to that day I'm reminded of a lot of things the world really did change we were a different country before 9-11 we're a different country after 9-11 but one of the things that I'm reminded most of all by this day and this anniversary is the lostness and the brokenness of this world. And so it's especially appropriate that we hear this text from Luke chapter 15 that deals with lostness and deals with God's heart towards the lost. And so it's a good thing that we've come together around the gospel text this morning on this particular anniversary. Uh, the context of this gospel passage out of Luke chapter 15 is that Jesus is in trouble. Again, over and over. And as usual, he is in trouble with the religious people, the leaders of the religious establishment to be precise. He's made them angry because Jesus, the rabbi, is breaking the social and moral rules against fraternizing with the social and religious outcast of that day. Jesus is unconditionally welcoming sinners to come around him and to listen to him. Peoples whose lifestyles or occupations exclude them from being as far as the religious uh, religious establishment is concerned exclude them from being accepted by God his one condition seems to be if anyone has ears let him hear well that's all these rejects and losers need to hear so they started to swarm around this teacher to listen to, to listen to him and then he takes his fraternizing to a whole new level by sitting down at the same table and eating with these people he sits down and has table fellowship with these folks and that's significant in any age and in any culture it is particularly significant in first century Palestine in a Jewish context and so I'm sure his his uh, the, those that he's in trouble with again say something like this Jesus you act like a rabbi but then you eat with sinners don't you realize that you're going to be contaminated you're going to get sinner cooties Jesus <laughs> don't you realize that you're sending the wrong message by hanging out with these people. 
And in order to answer the objections and hostility of the religious people, Jesus tells them a set of three stories. And we hear the first two of those stories today, which basically uh, says to them, the reason you do not understand why I am fellowshipping with sinners is because you really don't have a clue about what God is truly like. The reason you can't understand why I am eating with sinners is because you do not have a clue about what the God you think you serve is truly like. And so Jesus tells these stories, these parables, to help them get a grasp as to what God is really like. And then there is an implied invitation to become a part of what God is doing in the world. And what God is doing is this. God is actively, God is actively seeking the lost. Now, you know, some people don't like that word, the lost word, the L word, lost. But lost is a great description because Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and one of them is evil. Evil demon sheep. No, he he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and one of them is evil and worthless. No, he doesn't say anything like that. Rather, he says, suppose one one of you has a hundred sheep and and one is lost. And suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Here's the point, and this is so important. It's embedded at the heart of this parable, these two parables actually. Lost things do not lose their value. Lost things do not lose their value. The lost sheep is just as valuable as the 90 and 9. The lost coin is just as valuable as the other 9. In fact, their very lostness brings their value into sharp relief. By the very fact that they are lost, we see how much they are worth. Now, my family knows that I lose things all the time. We've just had, um, Katie has flown today. You could be praying for her. She's our middle daughter. She's flying to to Ireland for a semester of of law school in Dublin. I don't know how much law school is going to happen in Dublin, but... uh, (laughs) We can always hope. So it's 9-11. If she's flying, we're a little worried about her. So she's out of the house. And then this past week, uh, our youngest daughter uh, moved out and moved into her own house she's renting now. And so, uh, you know, the oldest daughter is with her family in Kentucky. Katie's in Ireland. Elizabeth's uh, down the road here in West End. And I don't have anybody to blame for all my lost stuff anymore. I lose things all the time. There are three things, though, that when I lose, I just get frantic about. My reading glasses, my pocket knife, and, of course, the remote control. I feel naked if I don't have my pocket knife on me. I've carried a pocket knife. I've carried a pocket knife to school since the third grade. Nowadays, they would lock me up and I'd be on suspension. They'd lock the school down and everything, but we all had pocket knives back then. Uh, and heaven forbid that I should ever lose the remote control because there will be no peace in my house until the remote is found. And I drive everybody crazy, literally, uh, moving furniture that never gets moved, moving cushions that never get moved, to find those lost items. Now, those lost things and my frantic attempts to find them, those losses are trivial compared to the losses in these parables. 
For the woman in the parable losing a coin was not just an inconvenience, it was a catastrophe. The coin was probably a part of her dowry, which was not just about economics, but it was about her standing in her community. It had to do with her worth in the community. And if we feel this way about sheep and coins and pocket knives and remote controls, if we feel that way about losing those things, why don't we think that God feels that way about us when we're lost? If I will tear up the house to find a remote control, why don't we think God will scour the universe for one lost person? Most of us, when we know that we are far away from God and our lives are a shambles, feel dirty and worthless. But that is not how God sees us. He sees us as infinitely precious, so precious that he will stop at nothing to do what he can to find us even at great personal loss and expense. God's passionate longing for the lost, and it is, that's what we hear in these passages, God's passionate longing for the lost is so great, so intense, that Jesus describes this seeking love in ways that seem imprudent and reckless. You know, I love that hymn and poem, which we're not going to hear today. I, I often look for a reason to bring it out by Elizabeth Clefame, uh, the 90 and 9. Nobody ever sings it, but it's a wonderful, a wonderful poem. It's about the lost sheep. But I've got to tell you something about that wonderful poem that is very touching, very sentimental, very, very moving. It's, a, it's wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. Because the first stanza, she writes, says this, There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not what Jesus says. The, the shepherd in that parable doesn't leave the flock in the protected enclosure of the fold. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness. He is so concerned about the lost sheep, he behaves recklessly in his overriding care. He doesn't pin the 99 up. He doesn't say, hey, shepherd Bob, watch my 99. He goes in search of one lost sheep. It is reckless, it is imprudent, and it shows an overriding passion for the lost. God is searching the ravines and cliffs and desert places for the lost sheep. God, like the woman, has lit the brilliant lamp of the incarnation and with the great broom of the cross has bent low to sweep the dark corners of his creation to painstakingly search out his precious lost ones. And he has swept so hard that his hands are bleeding. Don't you see what Jesus is saying here? God has come looking for you. God came looking for me. God has looked for you. He wants you back. Now, God knows a lot of things. That's about, you know, it's in the job description. God, I know everything. And God knows that the lost cannot find themselves. Most of us think that if we kind of just wake up, we, you know, we'll just wake up and realize that we're lost and, and then we just need to get ourselves unlost. In other words, we think that we need to clean up our act, try a little harder, put some more duct tape 
on us and try to piece our shattered lives together. But I want to tell you something. Do you know what lost sheep do when they, when they lose themselves, when they try to find themselves? They just end up getting more lost. And eventually they freak out and they just lay down and they bleat a little bit. And you want to know something else? Lost coins don't even know they're lost. They don't sit in a crack in the floor saying, dang it, I am so lost. Well, I better get myself out of this here crack. Um, some of you know that I really, uh, I w in some ways I wish I was Wendell Berry, philosopher, farmer, poet, um, curmudgeon. <laughs> uh, but he dramatically illustrates the, the, the lost's inability to find themselves in a short story he wrote, Watch With Me. And that story is about a community watching for a lost member who has mental health problems, and his nickname is Nightlife. That's what the community has called him. And the other characters, as the other characters in the story put it, he had, he's had a spell. Nightlife has had one of his spells. A spell has come over him. And they watch him, and they keep him safe until he is himself again. And toward the end of the story, he's still having his spell, and Nightlife is in a barn surrounded by his friends who have been trying to keep him safe, and then he begins to preach this very parable of the lost sheep. And Wendell Berry writes, Though Christ, in speaking this parable, asked his hearers to think of the shepherd, Nightlife understood it entirely from the viewpoint of the lost sheep who could imagine fully the condition of being lost and even hope of rescue, but could not imagine rescue itself. And then nightlife begins his preaching. Oh, it's a dark place, my brethren. It's a dark place where the lost sheep tries to find his way in can The slopes are steep and the footing hard. The ground is rough and stumbly and dark and overgrown with bushes and briars, a hilly and a hollery place. And the shepherd comes a-looking and a-calling to his lost sheep. And the sheep knows the shepherd's voice, and he wants to go to it, but he can't find the path, and he can't make it. If you're lost, you can't find yourself. When we're lost and the good shepherd comes looking for us, when, when you are lost and God, like that sweeping, searching woman, is pouring over creation to find you, all you can do, all you can do in this process is just let yourself be found. That's all the sheep can do. And that's all that coin can do. And then Jesus says this, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, we need to stop right there and ask ourselves, how did the lost sheep and the lost coin demonstrate repentance? All the sheep could do was hold still and let himself be lifted up to the broad shoulders of the good, of the good shepherd. All that coin did was lie, lie there motionless and inert and dead until the woman stooped down and plucked it from the dark crack where it had fallen and brought it into the light where it could shine and gleam and reveal that the image stamped on its surface was the image of its creator. Repentance is not demonstrated. This is important. Repentance is not demonstrated by trying to clean yourself up so that you will be acceptable to God. 
It is demonstrated by our willingness to stop trying to unlose ourselves. Stop trying to name the terms on which you will be found. Well, God, just let me, let me, let me straighten this one thing out, and then I'll think about following Jesus. Or, 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 or I, I, need to, you know, I need to have an emotional experience, and then I, I, I can think about following Jesus. Stop trying to name the terms on which you will be found. Just say, okay, God, you can find me right where I am. I won't even try to meet you halfway. I'll just let you take me as I am and put me on your shoulders and take me home. There is another old hymn that gets this right. Just as I am. Just as I am. Without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. And when we finally let God pick us up and bring us home, God isn't shaking his head and scolding the sheep for getting lost. You stupid lost sheep. <laughs> no, God's attitude is rejoicing. God's reaction is to have a party when he finds us. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We think God might want, you know, well, I mean, you find a lost, stinky sheep, the first thing I'm going to do is take a shower after I carry that thing home. But God's first inclination is not to go clean himself up after carrying us through the wilderness. His first inclination is to get everybody together for a celebration. Um, there are two, at least two Greek words, there are two words I looked at in the Greek about, you know, she, the, the, the good shepherd calls his friends and neighbors and the woman calls her friends and neighbors. And there is one word in the Greek for neighbors that are kind of like, you know, neighbors that you know around your house. And then there's another word for neighbors like the neighbors that most of us have, which if you're beyond one house away from us, we don't know who you are. People you have no connection with, people that you're not, uh, you're not having a relationship with on a daily basis, sort of the outer lying acquaintances. That's the ones that says, in other words, God says um, when the shepherd finds his sheep, he calls his friends and then people he hardly even knows to come have a party with him. That's God's response. He's so overwhelmed with joy at finding the lost. We think God might want, uh, we think that, well, listen to this. Um, I want to read both those passages again. When he, comes, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found the sh my sheep which was lost. And then when she found the coin, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I found the coin that I had lost. There is in the Greek a sense of giddy, urgent joy conveyed in this passage. This is so wonderful, in other words. No, you don't understand. We have to have a party. You know... It, you will, it is mandatory that you will have fun. <laughs> we are going to rejoice. So Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus is saying, why am I eating with tax collectors and sinners and outcasts and losers? Because this is the preview of the celebration that has just started in heaven because these men and women who were lost, who have come to me, have been found by God. Now, for those of us this morning 
who have been found, these parables call for three things from us. First of all, humility. Again, what do lost sheep and lost coins do to find themselves? Nothing. So how much credit do they take for being found? None. You know, of all of the inner dispositions, the whole gamut of human emotions that a Christian could experience, one of them should never be self-righteousness. I mean, you know, you Christians think you're better than everybody else. Well, if we have ever communicated that, we got it 180 degrees backwards. Because we have nothing to do with this. This is the initiative of a sovereign, loving, searching God. And all we can do is just say thank you in humility. So that's the second thing is we need to be great, have gratitude. You know, thanks be to God. I got found. I had nothing to do with it. I might have even been like a lost coin. I didn't even know I was lost. I liked the crack I was in. I liked that dark corner of the house. It was awesome. And God found me, and I'm just so grateful. Can you think back? I mean, I love it that, you know, um, uh, I pray this over my children, and I've prayed it over your children. May there never be a time where they don't know that Jesus is their Savior. But unfortunately, I can remember a time when Jesus was not my Savior. And I will tell you this, though. I am so grateful that he found me. I literally, the last thing I wanted that, that weekend was to come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The last, I had, I had some other things on the list. My mom and dad were out of town. <laughs> I was a teenager, home alone. I had a list of things to do, and getting saved was not on the list. <laughs> so gratitude, and then... The last thing we should just feel is incredible joy. Just incredible joy. For those of us who are lost sheep and lost coins still, though, you need to know something about yourself. You are of infinite value. You know, if one of you will ransack your house over a lost room. This is kind of a, a first century parab parabolic statement. If, if one of you, seeing that he has lost his remote, shall turn over the couch to find it and then rejoice with his household upon finding his remote and changing channels and doing the volume, how much more, you know, why do you think God wouldn't have an even bigger party and think you're even more precious than a lost remote control? You're of infinite worth. And even if you've never sought Christ, he's passionately searching for you. He's desperately imprudently searching for you. He's recklessly searching for you. And you, he cannot wait to throw a party when he finds you. We, this table that we gather around every Sunday has, is so rich and deep in its meaning. Uh, I, never, I never get tired of pointing to the table in the course of a sermon because it means so much. It's infinitely variable in, in what it speaks. And this morning what it speaks is this is the celebration meal that I have with my lost sheep and lost coins when they come home. This is the celebration. I call my friends and neighbors to gather with me at this table. The Lord says... To rejoice over the loss that I have found. Thanks be to God, I was one of those, and thanks be to God, I get to come to the table, and I invite you there too.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.